Good morning, Grace Chapel. It's good to be with you again, even under these circumstances. To continue in our worship, we're going to look at God's Word, particularly 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. So let's begin. About a year ago, April 21st, our family made the heartbreaking decision to finally close Redemption Church. All of our hopes, dreams, indeed my very identity as a pastor lay broken into countless pieces before us on the floor. For the past few years leading up to the closing of the church, God seemed so far removed and silent at best. I could understand the words of C.S. Lewis when he lost his wife to cancer. He wrote the following. He says, where is God? When you're happy and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain. And what do you find? A door slamming in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. The silence was deafening. Shortly after we closed redemption, reflecting on what Lewis said, I wrote this. Where is God? He has slammed the door in my face. He has bolted, then double bolted the locks. He has left the hallway. He has sequestered himself in a faraway room. He cannot hear my knocking. He cannot hear my cries. He does not hear my scream. Or does he? And yet he chooses to ignore them. There I remain, still on the porch, still pounding on the door, still crying out to him. And all I hear are the echoes of his silence. Does God seem silent to you right now? Does it seem as if he has plugged his fingers into his ears and run away into a far room? Does it feel that he has bolted and double bolted the door and you, no matter how much you bang and scream and cry, cannot get his attention? Do you feel that God is distant at best? Or maybe do you feel that God is against you right now? See, Lewis, interestingly, was never worried about doubting God's existence. What he wrestled with was doubting God's goodness. Is God for me? He never worried about, is God exist? Does God exist? He worried about, is God for me in this? And that's exactly what happened to me this last year. And more than likely, it's happening to some of us now. Is God for us? God, we believe in you, but why are you allowing this to happen? Lord, why? If you are good, then why are you allowing your people to suffer? Over the past years, I've personally wrestled with grasping the silence of God and trying to figure out how that reconciles with the goodness of God. I've returned time and again to Isaiah 40 through 66. Throughout these remarkable chapters, the prophet Isaiah pictures a picture of God as our God, our God of all comfort. Isaiah 40 begins, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In the midst of a spiritual rebellion, Israel's spiritual rebellion and brokenness, God promises his comfort, his hope. For us today, God has comforted and continues to comfort his people through his Christ. 
And it is precisely this comfort of God in Christ that brings us hope. So in this time of fear and worry and doubt and despair, let me ask you this. Where does your hope, where does your comfort come from? Now let's begin our study of Isaiah 40 through 66 by actually turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Yeah, you heard me right. This is purposeful. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11, we're going to look at this. Really, there's going to be two introductory sermons to Isaiah 40 through 66. Today's sermon from 2 Corinthians and next week's from Isaiah chapter 1. This is purposeful because we need to frame the Old Testament in light of what God has done for us in Christ. Chapters 40 through 66 in Isaiah offer remarkable comfort to God's people. And that comfort for us is only possible through Jesus Christ. In other words, we cannot understand the prophetic and hopeful comfort Isaiah offers us apart from Christ. And in fact, throughout Isaiah, he is offering us Christ. Throughout chapters 40 through 66, the comfort of God's people is nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. So church, we begin with Christ. Christ is how we get there. And Christ is where we are headed. Comfort and hope come to us from the Father, our God of all comfort, but they come through Jesus, his Son. So here's the main point for us this morning. Our suffering has purpose. Our suffering has purpose. The purpose is this. We receive the unshakable comfort of God. We become dependent upon Him. And then we share that same hope and comfort with others. Our suffering has purpose. So the three things, the three movements I want us to focus on today is this. First, our hope is purposeful. Our hope is purposeful. Secondly, our hope is unshaken. We have an unshaken hope. And third, our hope is dependent. We must place our dependency upon God. But before we get there, let me just briefly offer two points about the relationship, how hope and comfort fit together. First, hope and comfort exist in a reciprocal relationship. You ever thought about that? Hope gives comfort, but comfort also gives us hope. They are tied inextricably together. The second point about the relationship is this. Our level of comfort and hope is directly tied to our understanding of God. So what does that mean? How we view God, our view of God, is he loving? Is he powerful? Is he good? That affects our level of hope and comfort. In other words, comfort and hope are theological issues. Theology is essential for life. Theology is essential now. What we believe about God today is how going to shape how we live tomorrow. Is God good in the midst of this pandemic? Is God powerful? What we believe about God makes a difference in how we live. So let's begin by taking a look at the first point. Our hope is a purposeful hope. Listen again to the words that Paul offers in first Corinthians, sorry, second Corinthians chapter one, verses three to six. He writes this. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For verse 5, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we share. For honest with ourselves and even with our God, the suffering that we face seems random, uncalculated, cruel. But for the follower of Christ, there is a logic to our suffering. There is a purpose, and that purpose of our suffering leads us, us, and you, and others to hope. So let me take a few minutes under this first point and showing how our hope is purposeful by tracing out the logic of suffering. First, under the first point, I'm going to have a few subpoints. The first point is this, subpoint is this. Paul frames our suffering in the context of worship. Look at verse 3. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul begins the discussion of suffering with praise. Blessed be our God. I'm still blown away by how Job responds to Satan's crushing him, to God allowing Satan to crush him, to take his family, to take his property. What does Job say? Job worships. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I wish I had that faith of Job. Worship frames our suffering. And how we respond to suffering is a matter of worship. The second point in the logic of her suffering is that this, God, the God we worship is the God of our comfort. Again, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He is the God of all comfort. Not just a comfort, all comfort. He is the one who comforts us in our affliction. And pay attention to how Paul describes this God. He is not only the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says he is our Father. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And what do fathers do to their children? They comfort and they protect Abby Starbucks was robbed a few months ago. She called me as the, the, the robbers still out there at the door lurking. They locked the doors and made sure that he couldn't get in. But she's called me and said, he's still out there lurking. So what do I do? I run. We live pretty close to work. And about halfway there, I'm panting out of breath. And I had to start walking again because I knew if I got there and had to confront the guy, I'd have no energy in me. But I eventually get there panting. And I, and I show up. And he's, the guy, thankfully, lucky for him, he is gone. But what do I do? I switch then from becoming a protector to a comforter. So my first natural thought is to go and put my arm around her. Are you okay? That's the job of the father 
to protect and comfort. If I can't protect my daughter, I'm not going to offer her much comfort. But how much more does the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ comfort us people? Me, as a sinful father, as a broken father, seeks to lovingly comfort and protect my daughter. How much more will the Father of all good things comfort and protect his people? God is our God of all comfort. The third thing, and this is important for us to get, and we must not miss this. Third, as we are comforted by our good Father, we in turn comfort others. We take the comfort we receive from God and turn it outward. With the same comfort that we have received, we comfort others. This is how our suffering and God's comfort is purposeful. God comforts us, Paul says, so that we may then comfort others. What Paul is saying is that our suffering has a specific purpose. But let's, what do we normally do? We all do this. When we suffer, are we immediately turning outward? No, we turn inward. We become navel gazers. Suffering and hardship turns us inward. We say, woe is me. Look how hard things are for me. I'm all alone. There I am. This has been so hard for me. I've lost my job and no one else has lost their job. And woe is me. We turn inward. There we are sitting in the cave weeping with Elijah alone. It is enough now, Elijah says, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. What we don't realize, what Elijah didn't realize, is there are 7,000 other followers and worshipers in God's care. We can't see clearly through the tears. That was me a year ago. I couldn't see clearly through the tears. And there are still days where I don't see clearly through the tears. But our suffering and God's comfort is not meant to turn us inward. It's to turn us outward. One of the reasons we suffer is that others may be comforted as God has comforted us. See, this, this is what it means practically. Our suffering is evangelistic. Our suffering is missional. Our suffering has purpose. God wants his people, as they are comforted, to become outwardly focused comforters. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, your job as you suffer and as you receive God's comfort is to become an outward focused comforter. Are we right now so inwardly focused on our own selves and our own despair and our own woe, or are we focused on being comforted by God and seeking intentionally and purposefully to comfort others? God has given us an amazing opportunity right now to be a comfort to others. Look at verse 5. For we share, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What Paul is saying is that suffering is part of the Christian life. It is part and parcel of the Christian life. This is what we do. We, as far as of Christ, suffer. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4, 12-13. Beloved, do not be surprised 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What Peter is saying is that suffering is not strange. Suffering is normal. And then he commands us, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, we don't like this part of the Christian life. We don't like the part of the cross. We want the crown, but we don't want the cross. Because Jesus calls us to take up our cross, to suffer as he suffered. And this is a normal part of the Christian life. It is promised to us. Paul and Timothy says that those who are in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will suffer. So sharing in Christ's suffering, though, assures us that we will also share in God's comfort. This is the logic of it. If you share in Christ's sufferings, you will also share in his comfort. So do you want to be comforted by God? Then share in the sufferings of Christ. God's comfort is purposeful. God's hope is purposeful. And they both lead us to Jesus Christ. They give us hope that only Christ can give. The second point is this unshakable hope of Christ. Look at verse 7. Paul says, Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Our hope, like Paul's hope for the Corinthian church, remains unshaken. But why? If we share in the sufferings of Christ, we will share in his comfort. This is assured. Remember I said that there's a logic to this. So here's an if-then logical statement. If we share in Christ's suffering, Paul says, then we will also share in God's comfort. Our hope is secure and unshaken because of the logic of the suffering. Christians who suffer receive God's comfort, which breeds in our hearts and minds unshaken hope. Going back to 1 Peter again, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, Peter says, writing to a suffering church, Blessed be, there's the worship again, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, our hope is founded in the cross and the resurrection. To an inheritance, Peter writes, that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. By God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So here again we see the worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we suffer, we worship in the midst of suffering. And this suffering produces in us an inheritance. A promised receiving of an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance that is our eternal salvation that is kept in heaven by God. So even though we suffer in many ways similar to the church Peter wrote to, we should also be able to rejoice with them. Knowing that even though we are grieved by various trials, and let's get specific about those trials, a lost job, fear of the future, 
Will I get my job back after this? The inability to be with others regularly. The inability to regularly receive the communion, the comfort, the fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Really the inability to live out the gospel as we're supposed to live. All of these things seem to be taken away at this time. The hot burning fires of testing and trial. Our faith, Peter says, will one day found to be result in this praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See how we respond to these trials matters. Our faith is being tested, brought through the fire, and then it is formed. Do you see, church, what God is doing right now? He is forming and shaping your faith. If it is little, then that is good because God is working to form and shape your small faith. And I'm right there with you. That small faith into a secure, unshakable, imperishable, undefiled, unfading faith that breathes and brings hope and comfort. God is keeping us, his people, secure. Our inheritance is in heaven, guarded by the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So thirdly, we have a dependent hope. We have a purposeful hope, an unshaken hope, and a dependent hope. Not only does our hope move us outward to others, it also moves us upward to God. Our hope is dependent. Suffering doesn't just turn us outward, it turns us upward. Look at verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Paul was no stranger to suffering. No stranger to affliction, no stranger to, tri- stranger to trials and hardships. He says that they were so utterly burdened beyond our strength to the point that the Apostle Paul himself despaired of life. Isn't this a far cry from our trite, let go and let God? Paul is not ashamed to be real. Life is weighty, it's brutal, it's crushing. Paul is burdened to the point of despair. He is ready to die. Life for him was being lived out on death row. He experienced such hardship, such suffering, such affliction, that life was a death sentence. Is your theology big enough to allow room for such suffering? Elsewhere, Paul says that he was afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He was perplexed, but not driven to despair. He was persecuted, but not forsaken. He was struck down, but not destroyed. Maybe. Maybe it's not so bad to feel dead inside every once in a while. 
Maybe this feeling of being on death row is exactly where God wants us. Does life for you feel like a death sentence? Are you suffocating inside? Is every day a struggle to get up and get going? Do you feel afflicted, perplexed, struck down? Are you burdened beyond the strength and despairing of life itself? Do you, do you fill your bed with tears? Do you cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, such feelings help us see ourselves for who we really are. Weak and without any sense of power and control. Do you know what this pandemic has taken from all of us? Our false feelings of control. We thought we were in control. We were living as if we were in control. We were acting as if we were in control. And now we come face to face with the reality that we never had control in the first place. But those feelings of helplessness, weakness, and brokenness, and fear are exactly the feelings we need to see, to despair of life itself. Why? Look at verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. See, God allowed Paul to suffer so that Paul could grow in his dependency upon God and upon the power of the resurrection. See, there are two ways our dependency goes when we are faced with suffering. We can either buckle up and become dependent upon ourselves. We got this. We're good. We are in control. Or we run to Christ and seek to become dependent upon him. We know the choice we should make. And God has stripped any sense of control away from us. So really, there's only one answer. And Christ himself compels us to come. Come to me, he says. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Our suffering, our weakness, our hardship all call us to Christ. And Christ stands there. The resurrected Christ. The Christ who conquered the grave. The Christ who defeated hell and Satan and all its enemies. The Christ who is alive now. Interceding at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Christ who will come back in power and might. He is the one who stands ready to receive us. And what does he say? Come. Come to me. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, our suffering is purposeful. Our suffering is there to deepen our dependency upon God. So come to Jesus and find rest. Let me offer one brief word and way of application at the end. And it's this. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick to pray our way out of suffering. Let's be honest. As soon as life gets difficult, what do we do? If we do go to God in prayer, our prayer is this. God, get me out of this situation. God, get me out of here. God, end this pandemic. God, return us to normal. God, stop doing what you're doing and get us back to the way things were. 
Now, I'm not saying that's wrong to ask God for help, to cry out to him. That is biblical. The Psalms are full of cries of help. But instead of running immediately away from our trials, maybe we should slow down and ask, God, what are you seeking to teach me now? What is your purpose behind the suffering? How are you comforting me now so that I may comfort others later? How is this moment of hardship turning me to become more dependent upon you? See, we too quickly run away from our trials instead of turning and running towards the God of all comfort. I love the words of a Christian artist, KB, in a song brand new. He says this, God is with us in the storm. Sickness or health, dead or alive. I'm a child of God. Some say God doesn't want you to suffer, but where do they see that? We don't pray for a lighter cross. We pray for stronger back. It's not about the comfort, good life, and security. You will feel pain, but he is breaking you for maturity. Church, what are we praying for? We praying for a lighter cross or a stronger back? Do we believe that God is breaking us for maturity? He is seeking to conform us into the image of his son. And if he is doing that, then let's pause for a second and see what it took Jesus to be found faithful to do. He himself says, Jesus himself says, you want to be like me? Then take up your cross every day and follow me. So maybe... Just maybe God is giving us exactly what we need right now. It may not be what we want. But let me tell you this. God is far more concerned with our holiness than our worldly comfort. He is far more concerned with our growth and godliness than whether we have control over our lives or not. He is far more concerned with us being comforted by his unshakable hope than our worldly earthly comforts. A year ago, we lost control with Redemption Church. One of the hardest things I had to do and still have to do is to learn to trust that God will continue to work in the lives of those families we left in Philly. I'm having to trust in Philippians 1.6 that says God will complete the work that he has begun in each and every life that we have reached with the gospel. And also that God doesn't need me to do it. In the midst of the coronavirus, we're all being confronted with how very little control we actually have. God is squeezing us, and some of us feel like we are suffocating. It's not comfortable, not even remotely, but let me tell you this. It is purposeful. It is purposeful, because God is working in it and through our suffering. Because of that, there is hope See, God is seeking to conform us into the image of his son, the lamb of God who suffered upon the cross for our sins. Are we really serious when we say we want to be like Jesus? Because Jesus calls us to come and die. If we share in Christ's sufferings, if we share in his suffering, there is purposeful hope because God comforts us. Our suffering is not in vain. If we suffer, we also have an unshakable hope Our hope ultimately leads to an eternal rest where there we inherit a salvation forever and ever an imperishable, undefiled, and unfaded eternal salvation with God our Father, with Christ 
the Son, and with the Spirit. Our suffering, though, brothers and sisters, ultimately draws us to God. Suffering brings dependency. It doesn't just have an outward focus. It has an upward focus where we discover there the God of all comfort, the God of all hope, the God of our eternal hope. And brothers and sisters, let me assure you, there is no one else. There is no other source of comfort, no other source of hope, no other place to look. So stop looking anywhere else. Turn to Christ himself who calls you, who bids you, come, follow me. Yes, and of all is taking up your cross. Yes, and of all is being ready to die. But there, through that path, we find in a comfort that is unshaken, purposeful, that will never fade, never fall, never be defiled, and is being protected in heaven for us right now. So brothers and sisters, Hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Because Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it as white as snow. Grace Chapel, today find in Christ. Find in him your all in all. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess how very little we think of you, but yet how desperately we need you. Remind us today how weak we really are. Remind us today how desperate we need to be, how dependent we need to be on you. Help us through what you're putting us through to see that your hope, your comfort is purposeful. Help us to see that your hope and your comfort is unshakable and help us to see that your hope and your comfort is creating in us a dependency that is life-giving that is necessary, that is beautiful, that brings us and leads us to your secure, perfect, final salvation that you are guarding for us, your people, even now. And Father, we ask you to send your Son. Jesus, we ask you to come. Come now. But Spirit, until you send, until Christ you come, until Father you send, Spirit, be with us now. Comfort us. Help us to truly know what being comforted in Christ means. And it's in his great name we pray. Amen.